Northside family, it's good to see you today. My name's Nate. Would you welcome everybody in our video venue and watching right now in our live stream? I want to welcome them. And uh, so glad to be with you as we kick off this new series. Uh, but I just want to take a moment before we begin on that. You know, Andy talked about the 61 people who got baptized. And uh, sometimes if we're not careful in life, especially in church, we can just celebrate numbers. And we go, man, numbers are great. And, and let's move on. And I just want to take a moment because every number is a name. Every number is a name. And that is the beauty of Jesus as you might have walked in here today and you feel like nobody knows you here and, and probably God doesn't know you, but you're here trying to make a difference or you want to make a difference. And you just need to know you are not a number to God. You are his creation. He loves you. This is why the church exists is because God is saying you have a name, you have significance because you are made in my image. It doesn't matter if you know him or not, you have worth and value. And I just want to share just a few stories. There's some incredible things that happened last weekend. I got a picture of one life group. Uh, there was about four people out of one life group that got baptized together last weekend. And I can't imagine what their life group was like this week, uh, you know, or last week as they just kind of got together and celebrated, uh, but I love this. Sophia got baptized and I know her parents, Marissa and Marvin and all everybody else in their life group is such a cool moment. And uh, Mar uh, it, Mashonda, I got to know her. She's on the right. She got baptized as well. And I've got to know her over the last year, her and her husband, Jay. And I tell you what, man, to get to know somebody before they get baptized and see God work through that, you just, you get to go, wow, God, this is incredible what you're doing. That, Lord, you are saving people. And one of our favorite stories from last weekend of what God did was John. And John is 93 years old. And an unbelievable story. You know, we had kids from 9 all the way to 93 getting baptized because that is the kingdom of God. You might feel like when you retire, you go, I have nothing left to contribute to the world. And God looks at you and he says, I have something for you to contribute to. I want you a part of my kingdom because I have worked for you to do. And it was so cool to get a talk with him after the service where he got baptized. And probably my favorite story of the whole weekend was the Wren family. And the whole family got baptized. And here's what's so neat about the Wren family. It was their junior high son who brought them to church. And it's such a neat, neat story to watch them, to celebrate as a family, tearfully just go, wow, God is changing our whole family. And here it was, their son got baptized and he turned around and he baptized the dad. And see, this is the beauty of the kingdom. This is what God longs to do is he's going, man, I have work for you to do. I'm inviting you into this. And people have names and they have stories and everybody needs to be redeemed. And that's what God is inviting us into, not just so that we could be redeemed, but he's saying, I want to use you to go help and redeem the world. There is no greater calling that we could have. Matter of fact, we want to continue to cultivate this as we ended our Rooted series. Sometimes this is what we can do at church. We go, okay, Rooted's over. Nate, what's next? And we kind of put the rooted journal on the shelf and we go, that was cool, let's move on. And we go, no, 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 God is wanting to root ourselves in Christ. Matter of fact, Colossians 2.6 said that we would be rooted and built up in Christ. That we wouldn't just have a moment of going, okay, I got baptized. Woo. Now I can kind of hang back. Matter of fact, anybody uh, ever remember this info commercial? I don't know why it's stuck in my mind. This is because it's good marketing. Uh, you'll, you'll maybe, if you know the phrase, say it with me. Right? Said it and what? Forget it. Six of you. All right. Just me and you six. All right. 
But I remember growing up and then I saw that infomercial and he goes, here's, it was like cooking this whole thing. And it's like, all you got to do is set it and forget it. That day I bought two. And I'm like, because I love this. Matter of fact, this is, I'm going to stop telling these stories on myself because I just sound kind of like a loser. But last year I bought an electric smoker. Now you like authentic smokers are like heresy. This is heresy. You're like, you bought an oven. You didn't buy a smoker. Because here's the deal, I don't have eight hours. You know, I preach on Saturdays, man. I can't go out there and try to keep it at 250 degrees and this and that. I'm like, plug it in, start. It better be done when I get home. And the problem is sometimes that's how our faith is lived. We said it. I got baptized. Now I'm going to forget it. I'll see you in heaven, Jesus. And we go, wait a second, that's actually not the way that we're going to find Jesus calls us to live. Matter of fact, we want to continue to help you cultivate being rooted in Christ. And one of the things we've done is typically we've always put sermon questions on the back of the bulletin for you to take home and to you know, join with your life group to dive in. If you're not in a life group, swing by the, the living room out there. They have information. But one of the things we want to invite you to do after the service is out, uh, just outside you'll see this. Uh, it's this, really all of our sermon questions that will reflect and dive deeper into the sermon. And we just want to invite you to pick one of these up. And it will guide you deeper into what we're talking about today. It'll help you ask questions. It'll guide you where to start into Scripture. Matter of fact, more than even picking this up, uh, download our, our Northside app. Uh, our tech team, man, they put all of this on our app. And matter of fact, they, they've kind of done some more work to it to where if you log into that, not only will you have that, but during the sermon, you can type notes and it will keep your notes from the sermon. So that way, if you lose the paper, you won't have it. We're going, man, we want to cultivate this life. Matter of fact, out at the Resource Center, we got a journal, and it doesn't have answers in it. It's just for you to write down. All right, so you're like, come on, man, just give me the answers. No, right? And what we want you to do is this. We want you to begin to write down your prayers. We want you to begin to dig into God's Word and go, God, what are you telling me? Because here's the deal. God is not saying, hey, I just want you to set it and forget it. Matter of fact, God is saying, I want you to set your life in me and then allow me to do a great work in and through you. That's why we're doing this series following Rooted called Pulling Weeds. Because here's the thing that you and I have learned about weeds. What do they do every year? They come back. You're like, take a vacation, man. It's spring break. Chill out. They're like, nope, actually, we're here early. We're ready to show up for work. We like to show up. And this is what happens with weeds, man. They always keep coming back into our life. They always are. And here's the thing that you're, we're going to find, and we're going to unpack something big every week leading up to Easter, because that is what Jesus did. He came not just for the cross. He came to resurrect. So it wouldn't be us trying to pull the weeds and change ourselves. We're going the resurrection. The power of Jesus is what changes our life from the inside out. And so today we're going to talk about fear. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about some big issues that we carry in our life. That Jesus is saying, I have come to overcome and to conquer, and I want to take out of your life. You know, this week as I was sitting there, I was thinking about it. I'm like, Lord, why did you even create weeds in the first place? Like, really, we have better things to do with our life, man. Like, why would you create this? And it wasn't until I began to remember and reflect on Scripture. Did you know that when God created the earth, when he created the world, Adam and Eve, he created it perfect? And did you know that there was, he didn't create the world with weeds in the beginning? They weren't there. Genesis chapter 3 verse 18 tells us this, that weeds, and actually says this, thorns and thistles are a result of Adam and Eve's sin. 
that the weeds that we see in this world, and the weed, the literally the physical weeds that are in your yard are a result of sin that came into the world. Because here's what happened. When Adam and Eve no longer decided to follow the ways of God, but they took matters into their own hands, one of the things or the consequences of their sin was that Adam's work would now involve, because he was to be this master landscaper. He was to oversee all of the world. To this, the world was his domain. He was to rule. He was to cultivate. He was to farm. And 100% of the time, God was going to be producing fruit and food back. And because he chose to live his way instead of God's way, now he has to live with the result and the consequences of sin. And every time we see a weed, I think what God is reminding of is this, that we live in a sinful world, don't we? Matter of fact, we were reminded of it this weekend with the shooting in New Zealand, weren't we? You go, the darkness in this world, the darkness that is here, sometimes we're unaware of it. But it's here. You know, I don't know about you, but that, that becomes the problem in my life is this. Sometimes I become, I become so unaware. I'm not just that my yard is full of weeds, but there's a bunch of spiritual weeds in my heart and my life where I'm not trusting him. And I'm unaware of it. And the only problem is this. Everyone else around me is aware of it, except me. Matter of fact, yesterday I was getting ready for I was coming to church I was brushing my teeth and I looked in front of the mirror and there was this big white head on my nose. And I literally told my wife, I said, how could you let me walk around all day with this third eye on my nose, right? Yeah, well, I walked around everywhere yesterday. Hey, how you doing? They're like, my gosh, right? Like somebody help this guy. And here was the problem, totally unaware of it. Totally didn't see it. And everybody else saw it. Matter of fact, we're going to look at this passage where uh, the apostle Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, right after, and the reason why we're looking at this is because right after he claimed Christ, because Jesus asked him this question, he says, who do you say that I am? He said, he asked first, who does everybody else say that I am? And he says, now who do you say that I am? And he says, I believe that you're the Christ. I believe that you're the Messiah. I believe that you're the one who's come to save and to redeem and restore everything. And he says, good for you. And then listen what he says right after this. This is why we can't just set it and forget it when it comes to our faith. It says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. It said, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He is giving them the hope of the gospel, of what Jesus is going to do. This is how he's going to save the world. He's going to come, he's going to suffer, he's going to be killed, and then he's going to, on the third day, be raised to life. He's going to defeat sin and death. He's trying to give them all of the answers. And listen what Peter does. First, he had just claimed that Jesus is the Christ, and now listen what he says. Peter took him aside, talking about Jesus, and began to rebuke him. Hey, I've only, I'm only 36, all right, and I haven't been a pastor that long, but let me give you this pastor tip. Never rebuke Jesus, all right? Just never think you know more than him. Here's this spiritual weed that's coming out of Peter. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Isn't it interesting that Peter just confessed 
Jesus as the Christ, and then here he is telling Jesus, you have the wrong plans. We can't set it and forget it. Listen to what Jesus says to him. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Hello. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And you go, whoa, man, why did he call him Satan, dude? That's kind of harsh. You know why he called him Satan? You might write this down because what he was doing was he was addressing the weeds that were growing and still in Peter's heart that he was unaware of. And here is what weeds are that grow in our heart when it comes to Jesus is this, that we think that we can have Christ without the cross. If you think that you can just have Jesus as your buddy, Right? If you think you can just wear the hat that says, Jesus is my homeboy. If you think that's all it is, is that we just kind of acknowledge Jesus, he's a good guy. I mean, there's a lot of good guys, so I mean, he's good. Here's the problem, and this is the problem with Peter. He thought, yeah, I can have Jesus, but I don't have to have the cross. And this is where Jesus is going, no, 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 get behind me, Satan. And what he was saying is this, that Satan, his goal to Jesus was this, to get to live his life without the cross. That was the temptation in the desert. Jesus, if you worship me, all you got to do, I will give you the whole world, Jesus, if you just worship me. And Satan's ploy to, to Jesus was this, live life without the cross. And see, this is the temptation you and I will face. Somebody asks you, hey, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, I believe in Jesus. But do you live life through the cross? See, that's a different way to live. Matter of fact, listen what he goes on to say. Some of you are going, man, I, I, you know, Peter didn't realize it. He was unaware. I'm unaware a lot of times of the sinfulness that are in me and that what God is wanting to address. And Jesus begins to give us the way to address these things that he wants to pull out of our lives. And listen to what he says in verse 24. He says, here's how I'm going to address it. Verse 24 said this, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We're going to come back to these three big things. This He's summarizing for us what it looks like to how Jesus cultivate our life. He says this, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What Jesus tells Peter and his disciples and what he's telling you and I today is simply this. You might want to write this down that the cross changes the landscape of our lives. That the cross is the thing that changes the landscape. It is what begins to change everything. Matter of fact, it's so cool. After the sermon last night, a guy named Doug, he's a farmer out in Paoli. He came up to me afterwards. He farms like 5,000 acres. And he begins to go, he told me this. He goes, brother, I was resonating with your whole sermon, man. When we start talking about pulling weeds, and he told me this. He goes, I am a professional weed killer. And I said, well, Doug, dude, give me the tips. And why weren't you here at 4 o'clock so I could know this and preach it during the 5 o'clock? But he said this. He goes, you know the best way to kill weeds, especially if you're farming? I said, what's the, you know, I'm like, he has some concoction or whatever, you know, he kind of does whatever. He goes, grow the healthiest crops that you can. 
Because here's what happens. The faster that those healthier crops grow, the more shade it provides and it prevents the weeds from growing. He goes, my job as the farmer is to cultivate the landscape so that things can grow in the fastest, healthiest way possible. He goes, did you know this, that you can measure the pH in the soil and know what you need to add, whether it's more hydrogen or calcium or lime or all these different things. He says, because you need to know the soil that you're growing in and you can grow things faster and you can grow things healthier if you know the condition of your soil. See, this is what the cross does is it changes the landscape of our hearts and our lives. And this is why Jesus says these three things. He says, if you want to come after me, he said, and and one of those things that we got to realize is this, he's saying, anybody can hang around me, but just because you hang around me doesn't mean you're coming after me. He says, if anybody wants to come after me, here's what it looks like. One, you got to deny yourself you got to take up your cross. And in the passage of Luke, it says, take up your cross daily and follow me. What he's saying is you got to let me change the landscape of your life. Now that you're going, man, what does that look like? And how does that? First thing is this. When he talks about you need to deny yourself, what he's saying is this. You might want to write this down, that you need to fire your landscaper. Now some of you are like, Nate, I don't have one. Me neither. And I'm not talking about your real life landscaper. But you know who is the landscaper for my life? Me. And when Jesus says you need to deny yourself, he's saying it's not just you don't need to think about your life. What he's saying is this, Nate, you need to let me have control of your life. Any, anybody ever drove by like a store that wasn't doing really well and then a couple months later they put a big banner up and it says under new management. And what they're saying is this, we're going to do the same thing here, except somebody else is going to run it. Matter of fact, I found this sign. I thought this was hilarious. I found one of these signs that somebody hung up to say that there was new management. And this is the sign that said, new management ship. And I'm like, man, that guy got fired on this first day, right? He couldn't even do the best. And he confused the words ownership with management. And this is what it's saying. Jesus is saying, man, if you want to come after me, here's where it starts. You have got to let me begin to control your life instead of you controlling everything. And instead of you, you know, you, a lot of times we hear this phrase and it's such a good phrase and it's such a popular phrase when, when somebody's gone through such a hard time and then God has walked them through, they go, man, how did you get through that? How did you do it? And they say this. Man, I let go, and I let what? God. They're saying, I let go trying to fix everything, trying to control the landscape of my life. I let go, and I began to let God. And it wasn't they just let go, and they just were just kind of blown in the wind. I don't know what I'm doing. No, no, no. When they say, I let go, they're going, I'm trying to hold on to this. I'm trying to fix everything, and I'm letting this go so I can let God lead my life. And Jesus says, if you want to come after me, you got to fire your landscaper, man. And you got to let me begin to cultivate your life. And then he goes on to say this, and you got to take up your cross. Now, some of us go, what, what does that look like, man? You know, take up your cross. You know, we got to build a cross and carry it around. No, no, no. Here, here's, here's what he means when he says, take up your cross. What he means, take up your cross is this. You have now got to begin to publicly live out your faith. 
When someone was crucified, when Jesus was crucified, here's what would happen. He had to carry the cross literally down the main road of the city all the way up. And then everybody saw it. And when they crucified somebody, they didn't crucify them behind a wall. It was one of the most gruesome, brutal acts. And what they did was this. They crucified them on the public square. And this is what they wanted everybody to know. Do not mess with Rome or we will do this to you. And so when Jesus says, I want you to take up your cross daily, what he's saying is this, I want you to live out how I've called you to live in the way I want you to live publicly, in your relationships, at work. And it doesn't mean you walk into work tomorrow and go, I'm a Christian. You know what it might mean? Just show up on time for work and actually do your work and maybe click solitaire out for a bit, right? What he's saying is this, would you be faithful in publicly living out the ways of Jesus in your everyday life? You don't need to quit your career. What you need to do is this, start having Jesus lead your career. You may not need to resign from anything. Actually, you might just need to become the best photographer in your business because you're going, no, this is what a faithful person does. I believe this is the way that Jesus wants me to live. This is how he's called me to live. And I'm to be faithful. I'm to be someone of integrity. I'm to live this out. And when people go, why do you work the way you do? Well, let me tell you about the one who's come to save me. Why do you live? And they're seeing it and they're feeling it. Sometimes this is, I love the scene in Home Alone where Macaulay Calkins trying to get over his fear of not being afraid of the creepy old man next door. And he's, you know, I'm not going to be afraid. And he runs outside and he goes, I'm not afraid anymore. And then the creepy old man shows up. And what does he do? Ah, he runs back in the house and he's afraid. And see, a lot of times this is what happens is this fear comes in. We go, oh, I want to be faithful to Jesus publicly, but oh, I'm so afraid. And we go back and forth and back and forth. There's no wonder that they say 365 times in the Bible, this is the most common, the most quoted command in the entire Bible. Can you guess what it is? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And you know why it's the most popular command in the entire Bible? Because God knows we're going to be afraid. We're kidding ourselves if we don't think we're afraid to publicly live out our faith, myself included. Matter of fact, I came across this uh, article I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, Michael Yapko did a 30-year study on fear. And he said, here are the top three things that everybody has in common. And you'll probably major in one of these three, but he says, everybody has these three fears or they experience them in some way or another. And he said, here are the top three. The number one is this. There is the fear of mistakes. We have these fear. Uh, we just, man, we, we are so afraid of making a mistake and it just kind of grips us. And we go, man, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm not good enough. And, and I've got areas I got to get better in. And I don't want anybody to see me as an imperfect Christian. So I'm, I'm just not going to become a Christian. Or maybe for some of you, you're the harshest critic of yourself. And this is what was saying in this article. He said, you're your harshest critic because you're afraid of someone else criticizing you. And so if you can brutalize yourself, it doesn't matter what anybody else says to you because it's not as bad as what you say and call yourself. And really the problem is you have a fear of making a mistake. He said the second one is this, you have a fear of rejection. He said, and this fear of rejection is what actually keeps you from joining things because you feel like as soon as I'm going to join something, I'm going to get judged. And so it's better not to join so I don't get judged. Oh, I want to follow Christ, but as soon as I do and as soon as somebody sees me get baptized, they're going to start judging me because all this other stuff, so I'm just not going to get baptized. <laughs> 
And we have this fear of rejection that guides our life. And I thought this was fascinating. The last one he said was this, this fear that comes in is this consequence, the fear of consequences from relaxing. That we feel like we've got to keep the wall up and we can't let anybody in our life. We can't relax, we can't be honest, we can't be open. Because who knows what people are going to use against us. And so there's always this kind of paranoid. See, this is what was happening when Peter rebuked Jesus. When he said, never, Lord, what he was saying is this. No, I can't be a part of that because I might face rejection. This isn't the way I want to live. And Jesus goes, actually, this is the only way you can live. So what do we do with our fear? How do we process this? This is why I found it fascinating. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus' best friend writes these words. Listen to what he says. He said, there is no fear in love. Notice he doesn't say, everybody, quit being afraid. You're Christians for crying out loud. No, no, no. He said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, mistakes, rejection, criticism. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So what do you do when you're afraid? Let God love you, man. Bring that fear to the man. I'm afraid of the future. I'm afraid of these different things. This is why Jesus ends with the phrase, follow me, which actually the deny yourself and take up your cross was all about connecting to this idea of Jesus saying, follow me, which means to live every moment with me. There was this Hebrew phrase that a lot of people said that rabbis would say to one another and encourage other people when they begin to follow their rabbi, they would say this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you walk so close with the one that you're learning from that's guiding you in life that literally when they would walk and kick up dust, it would get on you because you were so close to them. This is what Jesus wants for you and I when we face our fears and we're going, God, would you do, would you change the landscape in our life? What he's saying is this, I want you to follow me. I want you to live life with me. You might want to write this down when we talk about fear, when you face fear in your life is this, the way out of fear is to follow. We think it's to conquer. We think it's to do better, to get, okay, I'm not going to be afraid today. Okay, this is going to change. No, no, no. Jesus says, if you want to conquer fear, if you want to make sure your life counts, just begin to follow me. And when you follow me and you experience the love that I have for you, here's what's going to happen. It's going to begin to drive out the fear. So focus more on me, follow more with me, and it will begin to drive out the fear. Because here's what we got to understand about the cross. This is what he's trying to get Peter to understand. This is what he's trying to get you and I to understand today is this. The cross does, doesn't destroy our life. The cross is actually what restores our life. See, a lot of times we're afraid of the cross. We're afraid of Jesus. Man, if I give my life to Jesus, I don't know how my life's going to turn out. Do you realize what he says here? He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me, Jesus says, will find it. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it because whoever loses his life, Jesus says, for me is going to find it. The rapper and theologian Eminem, <laughs> making sure you're with me. Stumbled onto this idea. 
And one of his songs a couple years ago, this is what he said. You got to lose yourself in the music, in the moment. And you go, how does Eminem know this? Eminem is made in the image of God. And what he knows is this. If he wants the most out of his music, what does he have to do? Lose himself. He knows if he wants his career to be successful, you have got to empty your whole life into this. you got to lose yourself in the music and in the moment. This week, the NCAA tournament happens. This week, Silver Creek Dragons will play in the state championship for the basketball. We can cheer on our community. We love all of our schools here, especially when they play for state championships. And I guarantee you, this is what every coach will say this week across the country as the NCAA tournament will happen. They'll get their team together, and this is what they'll tell them. Let's, lay the, let's leave it all on the floor. Win or lose, let's leave it all on the court. Because they know if we're going to win, we've got to lose ourselves. We gotta lose ourselves in the team. We gotta lose ourselves in the strategy. We gotta, we gotta trust one another. If we're gonna win, we have got to lose ourselves. And you know what's fascinating about basketball this week? Coaches will say that with no guarantee if they're gonna win. No guarantee. But we all agree that's the only way that a team's gonna win is if everybody loses themselves in it. And Jesus says this, I'll give you a guarantee. I'll give you a guarantee because when you lose your life for me, when you begin to let me lead, when you begin to put your whole life into me, when you begin not to just not be afraid, but in your fear begin to follow, in your fear begin to trust me, in your failures begin to trust me, when you begin to lose your life for me, Jesus says, then you're going to find it. And this isn't, we'll see what happens, and maybe, and I'm not sure, Jesus goes, no, when you lose your life for me, you will find it. Because here's what we'll find. We'll find Jesus as our life. Jesus goes on to say this to him. He said, for the Son of Man is coming, going to come in his Father's glory and with his angels. And then this is a word that a lot of times we don't think about or that we've skipped over. He said, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Did you know that Jesus at the day of judgment isn't just going to go, do you believe in me or not? But he's going to come and reward us for what we've done. Can I ask you a question? Just you don't need to sit, just think about this internally. Maybe this is the only question you need to think about this week. What are you doing with your life? There's a lot of things you can do with your life. But what are you doing with your life? Because Jesus says this, if you come after me, you'll actually get the life that you want, even if you don't know it. Even if you don't know it. 
What are you doing with the one and only life that you have? There's nothing greater than what we can do than to simply lose ourselves, to give ourselves over to Christ. Oftentimes we get hung up in this passage here and we go, I need to do a better job denying myself. I need to do a better job taking up my cross. I need to do a better job following Jesus. There's a, I need to do better. I need to do better. I need to do better. Let me, let me just pause for a second here. Did you realize that the only way we can do that is by focusing on the one who denied every temptation that came his way? Jesus was tempted with the world. And he said no. And then Jesus was the one who literally took up his cross and followed God. So the life that he's offering you and I, the life that he wants us to live, what he's saying is this. He's going, I have already done it. I just simply want you to surrender to that life. What are you doing with your life? Because Jesus says, I want your life to count. Not only that, I want you to have life. And when you lose your life for me, you'll find it. I just want you to take a moment and just close your eyes for a second. I think sometimes the beauty of church when we gather like this, I know this is a little bit of the way for me and my household. Sometimes this is the only quiet moment we get all week. And just in the stillness of this moment, I want you to be open and honest with the Lord. See, it's this perfect love that drives out fear. And here's what I want you to do, just where you are. Would you begin just to be open and honest with your fears? Peter had no idea how afraid he was until he said it to Jesus. And he had no idea how much Jesus actually loved him. So right now, just take a moment and be open and honest with the one who loves us and has come to save us. Let him know what you're afraid of. Lose yourself in him right now. I'm no longer a slave to fear Cause I am a child I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave 
Jesus, we just openly admit a lot of times we struggle to trust you because we want to see the results first. We want to know that you're going to provide what we need ahead of time. We want to see it all work out before we step into that. But Jesus, that's not your invitation to us. So right now, Lord, I pray for the hearts that are doing battle right now. Giving control over to you. Trusting you the one who guarantees life to us. Jesus, there is no other life in this world outside of you. And so right now, Lord, we just simply declare that in you alone do we find and have the life that you created us for. Father, would you give us the grace and the patience as we follow as we learn to be loved by you, as we learn to follow you, as we learn to live life with you. Jesus, thank you for being our savior. Thank you for walking the road before we would walk it so that in you and in you alone, may we know what life is. Jesus, we can only do this by your grace. So thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's follow him this week, everybody. God bless you.